But it's it's not chill to your point, like the way Iroh is chill. Right. Because Iroh is like chill in a wise way. Yes. <laughs> so Iroh, I would want to like have a conversation with and really pick his brain. Whereas I think Che, this is just like the most generic thing to say about someone, but it's like I think I just would want to have like a beer with him. Yeah. Just something casual. Yeah, exactly. Whereas everyone else is like, Oh, you're very interesting. Like, what wisdom do you have to offer? And Che is just like, Yeah, yeah. blow things up. It's cool, I guess. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit and Booster Greg. Hello again, everyone. I've been eating. I just want to say this to everyone right now. Uh, in preparation <laughs> I know for... What you're yeah, you do. In preparation for this episode, I went out to my local grocery store and I bought a big bag, or by big bag, I mean a bag of Takis Fuego, which is the hottest of the Takis <laughs> that you can get. And I've been eating them and I was eating them before recording. So if I sound weird or extra fired up, that is why. <laughs> because, of course, today we are covering Chapter 16, The Deserter. And in this episode, we are going to see our first introduction of Fire Nation culture, including Fireflakes. Yes. I'm so excited. Now, Greg, what do we call this episode? Oh, yeah. We like to call this episode firebending 101 that's right mm -hmm. before we dive into the episode though let's go out and check the mailbox for some egg mail yes so i was a little sad to say that i didn't see the messenger hawk out there however the mailbox itself was just stuffed to the brim with ang mail so our first bit of ang mail comes from amy and amy writes hi acorn and greg I think this podcast is great. Well, duh, I'm emailing you guys. <laughs> I have been looking around for some Avatar The Last Airbender podcasts, and I've tried a few, but this is the only one that I found both funny and interesting. I usually listen to these while I go rollerblading, basically my only exercise, laugh out loud. And this helps me actually stay out for at least half an hour while I usually just stay out for 15 minutes. So thanks for helping keep me stay healthy. Laugh out loud. I also have one question for you. What are some of your favorite friendships seen in this series so far? Oh, that's a great question. But before we answer that, I just have to give a shout out to the fact that you're rollerblading because yes. I used to rollerblade for years. Me and too. It was one of my favorite forms of exercise. Did you? Yeah. I used to play hockey once upon a time. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that was like a good, everyone's like, really? Whenever I say that, I go, you didn't, you're really lazy. You don't, I go, I did. <laughs> I did up until 10th grade. So like high school. Uh, yeah. That's but, amazing. But that was like, uh, I used to go rollerblading all the time, especially in college when like, I just stopped playing hockey altogether. I would just like go yeah. ro rollerblading around. My friends would just look at me and be like, is there a glitch in the matrix right now? Are you really doing that? And I'd be like, yeah, I can do this. And they go. <laughs> Can you though? I go, I'm doing it in it's front like a of you. Talent, right? Yeah. It's so it's so much fun though. That's so I'm so happy we found another rollerblader out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, favorite friendships though. Mm -hmm. I have to say, I think one of my favorite friendships has to be Aang and Gyatso. Okay. That's a good one. Because there's there's so many elements. I mean, we talked about it in um a couple episodes ago, the storm actually. Gyatso was so much to Aang. He was a mentor. He was a a parental figure. He was a best friend. 
uh, a playmate in some ways because they would get into trouble together, especially with the the fruit pies that they made. Mm-hmm. It's just so wholesome. And I love how multidimensional their relationship was. Yeah. Well, for me, I think it's, it's just no brainer. When you're talking about Avatar, the last airbender and you're watching this, this incredible series that was made, there's only one real friendship that shines through the ages and lasts the test of time. Oh, I think I know what you're going to say. It's going to be that of Sokka and Appa. Oh, my like, God. <laughs> what an incredible friendship that one is willing to just clean between the toes and hang out with all the time. And a bond <laughs> so quickly made in this series. I like, oh love God. it. I knew it was going to be Appa. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Appa, but I didn't think it was going to be well, Sokka Appa and, and Momo Appa. is a close second for sure. I think, I true, think Appa true. is just like one of those characters that gets along with everyone. But uh, like, if I'm being serious, it's, it is the trust between Appa and Sokka happens so quickly. I think it was like a couple episodes later, Sokka was literally driving Appa. So yeah. 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 We talked about that. It was like, whoa, Sokka has got Appa's reins. That's kind yeah. of awesome. So that's my answer. Yeah. But thank you so much, thank Amy. You. I know you, you signed this as QWERTY. So thank you, QWERTY. We also have another email from our friend Benji. And Benji writes, Hey, I'm Benji from Melbourne, Australia. Just wanted to say a big thanks for the show. My boyfriend introduced me to Avatar at the age of 28, and I became obsessed. Acorn, I totally agree about the world building. Anyway, thanks for the pod. P.S. Iroh is the best, hands down. Yeah. Benji. Pow. Benji, thank you so much. And it's so cool that you're, you're yeah. listening from Australia. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, no, I know we joked about it last episode but i really feel like we are just avatar worldwide now (laughs) yes global listeners that's so neat um i am so thankful that your boyfriend introduced avatar to you even if it is kind of later in life and not when it was airing because i feel like this is one of those shows that you just you can't miss out on at some point just watch it yes so i'm glad that you're obsessed and that you love it as much as we do okay next up our final bit. Oh, wait, this is just bills, 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 bills. Uh, oh, here we go. Okay. This one comes from Kale and Kale says, listening from Scotland and enjoying the podcast. Although it is really tempting to binge watch the full show within a few days. It's nice to watch and actually take time to think about each episode. And I can't wait to get on to season two for Toph and Azula's first appearances. Same. Ooh. Me too. Kale. Oh my gosh. Me too. I feel like every episode Toph comes up in some yes. way. Like we're, we're yeah, so Yeah, I was just going to say, it's like we always try to not do too many spoilers for future episodes in case someone's watching along with us for the first time. Or if it's like me and it's been a while and there's little things that you forget. Like I forgot Azula was a thing until I started rewatching this again. And then my memory started jogging about her. Yep. Um, but Toph is just like in my brain all the time whenever we're talking about Avatar. So I cannot wait for Toph. I can't wait. Again, I think I've said this before. I can't wait to see how, if I hate Azula as much as I remember hating her. Yes, I think you will. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> she she delivers. Let's say that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, Kale, thank you so much for writing in as well. And everyone for writing in today. We super appreciate it again. Yeah. Uh, I, I know we're a little bit behind. If you wrote to us, I promise, 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 promise you we are going to talk about it in future episodes. So. 
Yes. What we might end up Mm -hmm. doing, which we have been talking about, is a special either episode or a special stream, a live stream of us reading through Angmail so we can address everyone and just really focus on that because everyone is giving us such great feedback, thoughts, discussion points. Yes, exactly. So everything. Yeah, we want to be able to explore all of that. So we're coming up with a plan for how to do that most effectively. Yes. Yes. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. You know, as soon as we figure it out, we'll let you know. Yeah, the best way to stay informed is to follow us on Twitter at Podcast Avatar. So whenever we do come up with a plan, we will tweet about it there. And speaking of Twitter, just a reminder, we are still running the giveaway for the APA enamel pin. Instructions for that and the link to enter is also on Twitter. So if you have not yet, head on over there, click through. We're using Gleam for this giveaway and there's a lot of free, easy ways to enter and we're going to be polling the first winner next mm-hmm. week live. Yes. So, so exciting. Um, if you haven't entered yet, please, please do so. There are quite a few people already entering. And I, we just like want to give you APA pins. So like do it. They're so cool. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Are we uh, ready to dive I am in? I'm so ready. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay. So today we are going over The Deserter. And this episode is directed by Lauren McMillan and is written by Tim Hedrick. And before we even get into the summary, I just want to make a note that Lauren McMillan, who was the director, won an Annie Award in 2005 for storyboarding in an animated television production with the storyboarding for this episode. Whoa. Yeah, super cool. I'm sure if you Google that, you can see an example of the storyboarding. It's um, at least the example that I saw was for the scene when Aang walks into Zhang Zhang's hut. And it's it's beautiful. I can see why she won mm-hmm. the award, but that's a fun fact yeah. for you right off the bat. Okay, so our episode opens in the northwestern part of the Earth Kingdom. The gang comes across a poster advertising the Fire Days Festival in a nearby village. Eng suggests they go there to find something to eat. He adds that this could be a great opportunity to see some real firebending up close. You know, that's not coming from Prince Zuko. Mm-hmm. Sokka finds a collection of wanted posters, including one for Aang, and Katara suggests that they keep moving. Aang argues that this might be his only chance to see Master Firebenders up close. Katara caves and suggests they wear disguises just to be safe. I really love when they disguise up, by the way. Because that's like a quick... I want to talk about the wanted posters, but I want to talk about how they disguise up real quick because they're all just like super edgelord. Like, I have my hood on and I too have my head on. And then Aang's just like, I got this. <laughs> and then I was like, eh, this is not great. I know. The style was very reminiscent of like a rogue yes. or assassins yes. or something like really edgy. Like you said, Edgelord yeah. throwing the hood over their head. And then Aang is almost like, it has the same energy of a teenager, like pulling their t-shirt over yes. their heads. So their head pokes out of the mm-hmm. collar. It's yeah. like that. It was very, I also, I also very love the, sh- the shading in like the, the hood. So like half their face is like masked in shadow. And they're just like, I am the knight. And then Aang ruins it. (laughs) I know. I love that so much. The one in posters too. Did you have something about that? Yeah. So when I looked at them, they don't really bring too much attention to it. But you have, obviously, you have Aang's wanted poster, right? And behind him, that I think is Zhang Zhang. Yes. So like, but he's like very proper. He's very like prim. He's got the scars of that Zhang Zhang have. We also see the blue spirit, which is really cool because like you're kind of seeing how far out they're looking for this masked vigilante they're looking for zuko essentially yeah, right and talk about continuity yeah that's so cool 
And then you also have Che's wanted poster right there, which I thought was like blinking. You missed it. Just really neat foreshadowing of what's going to be coming up ahead. I also think it's kind of funny that they make Che look not crazy. And I just think he's crazy. But I think that's because yeah. of who his voice actor actually is. And we'll get to that once we start to hear him speak. You know, it's funny you say that because I did find that Shay's wanted poster states that he is mentally unstable. Yeah. See, there you go. So that's that's actually great. But he looks very like <laughs> somber and not crazy in this poster, which is interesting. Does. Like, everyone has pretty much like a very like straightforward face, except Ang. <laughs> Ang's poster has these big doe eyes, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> Yeah, really does look like a little boy in yeah. that picture. And I, I saw that his the translation for his poster says, Wanted, the Avatar. This fugitive knows airbending, can create whirlwinds and flees like the wind. Hunters be extremely cautious mm. by decree of the Fire Lord. Interesting. Yeah, but I love how that foreshadows the characters we're going to find in this episode. Then also kind of calls back to a previous episode, especially when you think about it, how... The Blue Spirit was supposed to be the last episode in the first yes. in the run that Nickelodeon approved. Right, right. And so it's almost like a little bridge, right? Yeah. It's like a bridge from the original run of Avatar into the extended series that we get to explore. Yeah, it's almost like a little like tip of the hat being like, we didn't forget about this character or this like reveal. Don't worry about it. It's still a thing without yeah. actually saying it's still a thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. When they all reach a hill overlooking the settlement, Aang tells Appa and Momo to stay there and stay out of sight. Momo promptly flies into a nearby bush and disappears. Appa follows Momo's lead, but doesn't quite achieve the same level of concealment when he crouches behind the same small bush. I laugh so hard every time I watch that scene. Every time. It's so cute. It's it's just perfect. Never change, Appa. Never change. I know. Such the goodest boy. Yeah. He tried. Yeah. <laughs> This is where our main characters don their hooded cloaks Mm -hmm. and make their way down the hill into the settlement. Behind them, a hooded figure peers from behind a tree. When they reach the Fire Nation colonial village, the Fire Days Festival is in full swing. The massive courtyard is lit by strings of glowing red lanterns and tall sconces of fire, and fireworks explode and crackle in the sky above. Team Avatar quickly realizes that while they had the right idea to disguise themselves, they didn't pick the right disguise for the Fire Days Festival because everyone around them is wearing a mask. They each get a mask from a nearby stall, and after some rearranging, I thought that was a cute little detail how Katara switches the the happy blue mask for like the sad crying mask between Sokka and Aang. Yeah, because while the color schemes match for like the initial, I guess, masking, the Ad- the attitudes in Katara's opinion definitely don't. So she's like, eh, this yeah. feels better. Yeah. I did find the Fire Nation Colonial Village is um, a pretty small settlement, but it was renowned for being a cultural center during the Hundred Years War. So they always had the Fire Days Festival there every year. And when you think about it, there's a lot of elements of like wartime, right? How there's a lot of people who are in outposts or they're overseas, Mm -hmm. so to speak, in this different land. And so they bring in examples of their their home culture to them. And in this case, it's with a Fire Nation festival. So what they would normally be celebrating at home, they get to celebrate here in the Earth Kingdom. Yeah. 
I did also see an interesting note about the architecture itself because you know how we go from the hill and it shows us an overview of the the settlement yep. and it's like you can see the lanterns and all the big buildings around. There was a an interesting note from the art book saying that the idea was that the Fire Nation modified the existing Earth Nation architecture. So that central building has the sweeping angles of a Fire Nation building. We we see it in the Crescent Island episode of how the, the roof kind of like arches out into little peaks. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the buildings around are very simple and they're a lot more Earth Nation style. And so I like that little detail how they even thought about what would this look like? What would this outpost or this village look like if it was being occupied by the Fire Nation? They would modify it. It also kind of shows how classist the Fire Nation can be because like the main central building, which is like, you know, where all of the, I don't know, feel like all the money went, they like kind of made it their own and all the, the peasants and stuff that kind of still live there. Like, yeah, fend for yourself. Decorate it if you can. Yeah. yeah. It's almost like erecting a statue, right? Yeah. To make a statement. Yeah, true. They built this central building in the style of the Fire Nation. Yeah. yeah. So cool. All right. Here we go. This is your part, Greg. Yeah. After putting on their masks, they spot a food stall. Yes. Sokka runs over to see what it has. Flaming fireflakes, the stall owner tells him. And Sokka eagerly takes a bag and scarfs it down. And then he like, (laughs) he regrets it immediately. Oh, yeah. And what I think is very funny is it's so hot. He has to take off his mask. So like having a mask on is like almost neutralized at that point. It's like, what was even the point there, pal? Like, I know. It's so funny. (laughs) Um, I was actually when I was doing my TikToking, as the kids say, I hope the kids say that. I don't know. I'm old. Anyways, oh my God. Uh, I did notice I was kind of going through my feed, right? My For You page. And there was, um, I can't remember the guy's name. I wish I wrote it down. There was a guy who made his own fire flakes. And he kind of like shows you how Ooh. to do it. It was way too many steps for me to do. Because like, I didn't realize how much work it is to make a flake a flake. But it was still really cool. Um, he said it was delicious. I just went and I bought Takis. I couldn't find Flaming Hot Cheetos. So I just got Takis. That was like my runner up. Yeah, that's fine. But yeah, I, I felt his pain as I was eating along with him. That is awesome. I, I love the thought that there's a recipe for fire yeah. out there. And it reminds me, I did come across a YouTube channel. I want to say it's No Cilantro Life. Okay. They do a series of avatar-based foods. Ooh. And so they made the fruit pies from Southern Air Temple. Uh, I, I see that they did a fire flake recipe too. So... Our listeners, if you are a food aficionado and you want to test out one of these recipes, please let us know how it goes Mm. and give us a review and maybe even share the recipe because there are a lot of fun things that you can recreate from the Avatar world. Yeah. Oh, I lied. It wasn't TikTok. It was YouTube. I get my socials mixed up all the time, but it was because I just found (laughs) it. I literally was just like, oh, Fireflakes recipe. Um, it was binging with Babish is what I saw. And it's it's like a five minute. Oh, he does one. Yeah, he does one. It was super involved. He's kind of funny, too, because he's like, oh, let's just do cornflakes with like like cayenne on it or something like that. He goes, that's not great. Don't do that. And then he like literally. I love Babish. Yeah, he's so cool. Um, he tried to pestle and mortar it and he couldn't do it because it was just too much work. Oh, man. <laughs> but it looked really good. It's just he's more skilled than I am at doing anything at the kitchen. So I'll leave it to him. But it looks so good. I want it. Yeah. Well, there you go, go. listeners. There's two. You can either follow along with Binging with Babish, who is an amazing YouTuber, Mm -hmm. by the way, if you like food bloggy type of type of things. Or there's No Cilantro Life, which is the one I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at them now. They have a whole series of Avatar food videos. So check them out and report back to us. 
They wander over to a puppet show where a puppet dressed as a fire lord proclaims to the audience, don't worry, loyal citizens, nothing can surprise the fire lord. Another puppet dressed as an earthbender holding a boulder rises up into view. The audience of mostly children yell warnings and the fire lord puppet quickly turns and breathes fire at the other one. The earthbender puppet goes up in flames and the audience cheers. Aang, Sokka, and Katara nope their way right out of there. <laughs> so here's a we haven't hit any new voices yet, but I do want to make a note right now. In my research, I found that James Arnold Taylor does a voice in this episode. No matter where I looked, it was always just like, yeah, additional voices. This is a big deal for me because James Arnold Taylor does the voice of Obi-Wan Kenobi in the Clone Wars, oh. the 3D animated. And he does a whole bunch of other things. So I'm trying to figure out where he was. My best guess is this this puppet show going on right now, but I can't confirm any of that other than that he is just in this episode. James C is the same thing. So the cabbage merchant, who is always voiced by James C, is not in this episode, but James C does do a voice somewhere in this episode. Interesting. Yeah. So they're credited, but not for a specific person. Yes. And I looked for, I want to say, an hour and a half of like just who they voiced and i couldn't find anything i was like really close just to like tweeting at james arnold taylor but i feel like he probably wouldn't remember <laughs> because it was what 15 years ago at this point yeah so wow yeah, I, I tried but i couldn't find but like that's a big pull is like and he also at this time was because i think 2005 was when clone wars started in 3d animation if i'm not mistaken so he was voicing obi-wan at that point as well as doing like miscellaneous yeah. projects like this, so like a smaller role. So I wonder if like maybe Dave Filoni was just like, hey, you come here quick, real quick. Like there's a project I'm working on. Yeah, you should do. I don't know. But yeah, those two are in there for sure. Very interesting. Yeah. Also, the one thing that stands out the most to me about that story is you spent an hour and a half. I spent way longer. Nothing nothing illustrates your dedication <laughs> to voice acting than that, I in my opinion. I was just like laying in bed and I couldn't go to sleep. And I was just like, oh, here, I'll repaint it. I was in bed and I couldn't sleep until I found this answer. And I haven't slept yet. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, this I want to make a note. This scene with the puppet show I was reading that according to the writer Tim Hendrick and director Lauren McMillan, a number of the festivities depicted in the Fire Days Festival were violent or exposed other issues in society. And it was deliberately done because they wanted to illustrate that sense of nationalism and loyalty to the Fire Lord presented as propaganda. And that's kind of how the Fire Nation functions. They're indoctrinated through all these different ways to to develop loyalty to the Fire Lord and to like not yeah. really question what the Fire Nation does. Well, yeah, yeah. Like it I mean, it's the equivalent of a children's cartoon is what they're doing. So they're getting in real early right there, which yeah, is yeah. Nuts. Yeah, it is nuts. Yeah. I mean, like even to see the the kids cheering at the Fire Lord's like blatant violence mm -hmm. where he burned alive a a puppet earthbender yeah. and they're like, Yay, you did it. It's like, oh God, no. It's horrifying. Sokka and Katara follow Aang to a large crowd gathered in front of a stage. Aang comments that with how large the crowd is, there's probably something good to see. Knowing the Fire Nation, it's probably an execution, Sokka jokes dryly. That was a yikes moment for me. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's kind of interesting. Um, Sokka's almost reverted after the, the lesson he learned in Jet, where yeah. he's just like, yeah, all Fire Nation people are terrible. And then he goes, well, no, not all of them are, because like, 
supposedly Earth Kingdom children can be just as bad. And now he's back to like, all Fire Nation is terrible. And that the Fire Nation is living in an Earth Kingdom is just like, yeah, everyone here is terrible now, I guess. It, it seems weird. Yeah. I want to say it's almost a distinction that he's making in his head where it's his way of realizing that the greater evil is in the society of the Fire Nation and not so much individuals. Okay, fair. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's also, there's the element of, in it's a different environment. It's not just like he's walking into an uncrowded fire nation camp essentially it's like this huge spectacle going on and they're celebrating something and everyone's crowding around so Sokka using what he's learned in the past if fire nation citizens are captivated by something it's probably not good yeah yeah yeah, exactly but on the stage a young man uses firebending to draw fire from the sconces surrounding the stage he juggles the fireballs and brings them together above his head before letting them burst into a flock of doves After the applause dies down, he asks for a volunteer from the audience. Aang throws his hand into the air, but Katara tells him they shouldn't call attention to themselves. The performer then points to Katara and chooses her. As she's lifted onto the stage, the same hooded figure is seen peering through the crowd behind them all. Real quick, last week I said Scott Menville's going to come back again. Just you watch. He's back again. This character's name is... Is that it? Yeah, it's him. This character's name is uh, Malu, based on what I was able to find. And it's Scott Manville, so it's Robin from Teen Titans. You know, again, I didn't know that was him, yep. but I w- when I heard the performer, I'm like, that is a very familiar mm-hmm, voice. Mm-hmm. He's just showing up all over the place here. I don't know if this is the last time that we're going to see him again. I hope not, because I love his voice and it's hilarious. And a lot of the lines yeah. he was delivering as Malu was very like Teen Titans Go Robin, where it's very like over the top. Yes. And it's like, whoa, I've lost this. And oh, look at the fire. And it's, it's, it's really good. I like it. I think that's why I thought it was familiar to me. But yeah. of course, I'm not Greg. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't go search for the answer. I was like, huh. huh. Anyway, yeah. moving on. <laughs> me, I lose sleep if I don't find out. It must be nice to just be like, oh, that sounds familiar. Moving on. And I'm just like, no, I need <laughs> to know the answer. My stress comes from other sources. So yeah, it's OK. Fair. fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we equal out. I'm other, sure. Like legitimate things instead of me just being like, whose voice is that? Where was James Arnold Taylor? <laughs> I must know. <laughs> Yeah. The performer introduces his next trick called Taming the Dragon. He lightly ties Katara to a chair and firebends a giant flaming dragon over the stage with an attached flaming rope. He pretends to lose control of the dragon and brings it closer to Katara, which prompts Aang to leap onto the stage. Using airbending, Aang creates an air funnel that devours the dragon and then dissipates it into a cloud of confetti. The crowd boos and someone recognizes him as the Avatar because his shawl and mask came off to reveal his arrow. Good job, Aang. Good job. You ruined everything. (laughs) I love how he also does this like sloppy dance. Yeah, he's just like (laughs) trying to act like he's part of the show. It's like, yeah, this is part of the thing. Uh huh, exactly. And everyone's like, wait a minute. That arrow, that bald head, that big doe eyes. I know that face anywhere. That's the Avatar. I saw him on the poster outside the settlement. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually I just thought of this. It's kind of funny that Aang's mask is kind of similar to the blue spirit. Oh, true. It's like the the flip version yeah. of it, like the happy protagonist yeah. version. But it's blue. Yeah, Very, same yeah, color blue scheme. And like blue and whitish. Yeah. White and yellow. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. The masked man from the woods appears behind the stage and calls to them to follow. He evades the soldiers with a smoke bomb and the four of them take off through the village. As they run, Aang pulls out his bison whistle and uses it to call Appa. They continue running until they reach a dead end, but Appa arrives just in the nick of time. 
He uses his tail to airbend the soldiers back, giving Aang and company a chance to climb on. As they fly away, the hooded man throws another bomb into a cache of fireworks, and they go off in an impressive display. So, hooded man. I've been waiting to talk about this for a while. So, we'll learn in a moment that his name is Che. Yep. He is voiced by John Kassir, who is... This is a throwback. Okay. He is the voice of the Crypt Keeper from Tales from the Crypt, the old HBO, and I say old, but like from the 80s, HBO horror series. That's so interesting. I don't know if you ever watched that. I watched a couple of them as a kid, even though I wasn't supposed to. Brad Pitt got his start in Tales from the Crypt. He's in an early episode. I don't know. I'll say his start, but that's the oldest thing that I found him in. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you Yeah. So like for me, that's where I got to start. But like the Crypt Keeper is always just this like character that would introduce the story, kind of like a Rod Serling from Twilight Zone. Yeah. But he's just very animated, very over the top. And I can kind of hear it in the character of Che a little bit in some deliveries. He also did the voice of Ghost Roaster from Skylanders. And you're going to appreciate this being a Nickelodeon kid. Uh, He's the voice of Ray Rocket, who is the dad from Rocket Power. No way. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. But I, I, his voice, I was like, that doesn't kind of match. Like the voice doesn't match what I perceived the, like, the look of this character to be. And I looked it up and then I fell in love because it's the Crypt Ooh, Keeper. Ooh, so cool. Yep. Also, Greg is correct. I was a Nickelodeon kid and you can hear more about that on the latest episode of the Geek Generation podcast, which is number 324, where Greg, Rob, and I discuss our top five animated shows pre-2000. It's a really fun listen if you want to learn more about us and the way that we grew up and just old animated shows. Yeah, I thought I was a Nickelodeon kid before that, that episode and then I didn't. I know. Spoilers, I didn't choose a single Nickelodeon cartoon and I was like, maybe not, maybe not. Turns out you're a Cartoon Network Turns kid. out, I think it's because I got Cartoon Network towards the end of my childhood and I was just obsessed with it. Yeah. But yeah. But I really enjoyed Rocket Power. That's a, yeah. that's a cool little tidbit. But yes, the man that they meet, the hooded man, is named Che. He introduces himself and says that he used to be a Fire Nation soldier. Later, around a campfire, Che tells them that he serves a man who is a myth, a living legend, Zhang Zhang the Deserter. He's the first person to ever lead the Fire Nation army and live, with Che being the second. And Zhang Zhang is a firebending genius. Upon hearing this, Aang is excited that there's a firebending master who isn't aligned with the Fire Lord and says they have to go see him because he could be the only firebending master they meet who will teach him firebending. Just then, strange men leap from the trees with spears and capture the group. Oh no! Oh, no, it's like the Kyoshi Warriors all over again. Yeah. I like what I found about Shay. So he not only used to be in the Fire Nation military, but he also is an expert in explosives, which is why he was using those bombs back at the the settlement. But along with Zhang Zhang's story, he saw the death and destruction and the loss of innocent lives over a period of time and began to question the war's purpose and his own role in it. Very reminiscent of um, what's his face from the new Star Wars movies, right? Of Oh, of um, Finn. Finn. Yeah. 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 Very similar to that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Actually. Yeah. I also like that Che isn't just like a crazy idiot. He's kind of like been portrayed to be thus far, at least in the posters and kind of just by looking at him by a stance. And later on in the episode, he actually has a skill. He's like quirky. He's quirky. But he's not like crazy. Right. Per se. And he's also he is smart. He's not book smart. He's not very well spoken. 
because a lot of his language is just very just straightforward average man kind of thing and i feel like every wise character that we've seen so far or someone who is intelligent has a different air about them than just like the everyman and shay is very much just an everyman type yeah yeah Yeah, that's a good distinction to make they hike through the forest and eventually reach the top of a hill that overlooks a river and a small grass hut seated beside it lin yi the group's leader forces che to go down and see zhang zhang having said that Zhang Zhang is angry because he told Shay not to go looking for the Avatar. The rest of them go to a different hut to wait. Even though we haven't seen Zhang Zhang yet, I do want to talk about him a little bit yeah. because there's a lot that I want to discuss about in this episode about him, but just a little bit about his background. We just learned from Che that he's the first person to defect from the Fire Nation military who lived. Mm-hmm. So he's been on the run ever since, but It was interesting because I found out that he made his way over to the Earth Kingdom and met this tribe whose leader is Lin Yi. And they apparently regarded him as a living god because I guess he was so powerful of a firebender. Interesting. And so they offered him, yeah, right? They offered him residence at their camp. And so he's kind of been aligned with them ever since. Yeah. I also like that he's kind of like taken on like the look of an Earth Kingdom citizen. Like the the foundation yeah. is very proper, very well kept. Like they're they top notch. Yeah, the whole deal. And he's just got like the wild hair. He actually looks a lot like Jiraiya from Naruto. He looks very <laughs> his hair is very similar to Jiraiya. And even the scars on his right side, our left, if we're looking at it, um, is kind of reminiscent of that as well. Because yeah, Jiraiya so has that. Yeah. So I like I like that a lot. Uh, also, really quickly. Uh, the voice of Zhang Zhang is Kian Young, who has done voices in Star Wars Rebels, Archer, Teen Titans Go, and will go on to do some voices in Legend of Korra. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing a trend here. There's a lot of Star, Star Wars, Wars and Teen Titans. There's a lot of that. That's what I'm noticing. <laughs> yeah. One other thing, now that we're here at camp and we can kind of see this almost jungle-like setting where it's next to a river and it's kind of tropical and a little swampy almost. Um, did you ever have to read Heart of Darkness in school, Greg? Probably, but did I read Heart of Darkness in school? No. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness was an inspiration point for the story and the setting of this episode because Heart of Darkness is a novella that is set in the Congo and it's about a voyage up the Congo river into the Congo free state in the heart of Africa. And of course the themes of the story are very much about colonization, white man's burden. It's a very like racially charged story from what I remember, Mm. but they took inspiration from the setting of that book. Yeah. I, this sounds so familiar. Maybe I did read it. I just forgot. I don't know. I definitely heard of it, but yeah, Yeah. I, I can see those like, inspirations in this episode for sure um there's a there's another source i don't know very much about this i don't know if you've seen this greg but have you watched apocalypse now i was just gonna say that sounds what we're just talking about heart of darkness sounds like apocalypse now okay because there's a lot of similarities between this episode and that movie i think because there's a reclusive deserter there's river boats there's a try with spears yeah, like I guess like at the at the bare bones level. Yes, I guess so. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, between those two sources combined, <laughs> apparently we found the source of inspiration. Yeah. So, you know, listeners, the more you know. It does actually have a very similar feel in terms of like the uh color palette as well, I guess, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, yeah. 
Back in the Fire Nation colony village, Zhao has arrived and is questioning the soldiers who saw the Avatar. They report that aside from the Avatar, the festival was a success without any fights or much crime. I don't care about your local crime rates, Zhao yells. <laughs> Which way did they go? It's just like, you let the <laughs> Avatar go? And they're like, yeah, but crime's down. He goes, do I look like I care about your crime <laughs> rates right now? Do I look like I care about them at any point in my life? No. Yeah. You let him go. I, I, I love, hate Zhao so much. Same. Oh, man. He's such a villain. So much. Such a villain. I love it. Okay. So good. And I, I love that we learn a little bit more about him in, the, in this yes, episode. Yes, I like that a lot, too. In the Riverside camp, Shay comes into the tent where Aang, Sokka, and Katara are waiting. Aang asks if he can go see Zhang Zhang now, but Shay tells him no. Zhang Zhang won't see Aang. The master is very angry that Shay brought Aang here and wants him to leave immediately. Zhang Zhang could tell by the way Aang walked into camp that he hasn't mastered the other elements yet, so he is not ready. I'm going in anyway, says Aang, and leaves. Oh boy, Aang. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's going to do it. He, he's going to do gonna it. He's going to do it, isn't he? <laughs> Aang enters Zhang Zhang's hut and the master tells him to get out. But Aang tells him that he needs to learn firebending. Only a fool seeks his own destruction, is Zhang Zhang's reply. Aang begins to talk about his destiny as the avatar, but Zhang Zhang cuts him off with a metaphor. If a fish lives its whole life in this river, does he know the river's destiny? No, only that it runs on and on out of his control. He may follow it where it flows, but he cannot see the end. He cannot imagine the ocean. He's trying to run before he walks or even crawls. Yeah. I have a small point. I was thinking a lot. I think it was, yeah, it was during the Bato of the Water Tribe episode. And I, I think I made a comment of something of how unang like Eng was acting because he was acting very petty and selfish and he was doing a lot of destructive things against his be- against what we would perceive as better judgment. Yeah, out of jealousy. Out of jealousy, right? And then it dawned on me where... He was actually acting perfectly in character because every episode up until Bato, he was the focus of the attention. It was all about right. Aang and he didn't know how to react when it wasn't about Aang. So like he just did the worst possible thing that could do and just became super destructive. Lesson learned, right? No, because again, in this <laughs> one, while we have an Aang centric episode, he's like, I can do this. No problem. Like, I'm just going to like. I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to make the worst possible decision and just like dive right in with flames all around. Yeah. Which is he's going off of his his like desires more right. than logic or even the group decision. Right. Because so many times he is the center of attention, but it's them collectively making decisions which end up being the right decision more often than not. But when it's just him, he ends up making bad decisions because he's just going off of his impulse. Yeah. Yeah. And like it's never really been too much of a problem him just jumping into different bending because there's no negative repercussions. Like the worst case scenario in water bending is Sokka gets wet. Yep. (laughs) And with earth bending, what's the worst case scenario? You build a wall accidentally, or crush someone with a boulder. But you know, like he, I feel like he could like not make that worse by air bending. Where with fire, you could make that a lot worse with air bending because you could spread the flames. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really the theme in this episode is the destruction yes. of fire. Yeah. That metaphor, though, that Zhang Zhang gives him, it's based on a quote from Albert Einstein, which is, what does a fish know about the water in which he swims all his life? 
And I think they kind of mixed it with a Chinese proverb that says, a frog at the bottom of a well cannot conceive the ocean. Mm. And I think together it creates a beautiful metaphor. And it's almost like, I feel like Zhang Zhang is very similar to Iroh in that way. He talks a lot in like wisdom anecdotes Mm -hmm. or whatever they're called. It's like, let me give you like a piece of wisdom more than just straight advice, I guess. Although he does that too. He tells yeah. Aang, no, he's, don't he's literally learn firebending. Like, You're not ready. Well, he also is just like, widen your stance. He's not just like, your stance is as shallow as your train of thought right now. No, he's like, <laughs> yes. widen your stance. And Aang's like, I am. And he's like, again. You're not even looking. Again. <laughs> yeah. Breathe. I have been. You want to not breathe? I like how grumpy Zhang Zhang is. Like, I feel like he was Ira at one point in his life. And now he's just like yeah. gone a completely different direction. He's just this like grumpus that lives alone and it's just like huffs and puffs. And <laughs> he's pretty much Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino, except like not, ra- oh not racist God. or terrible. But like he just sits there yeah. and just wants to sit around and just like have a beer. And I'm very like, do I want beer today? <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I think I want a beer today. Okay. But it, yeah, like he <laughs> he is very Iroh-esque and he ev- even gives some of the same advice about controlling your breathing and like maintaining your stance or being aware of your stance also has those like almost riddle like advice in his words. Yeah. Yeah. I like his character a lot. I think he adds a lot of context and almost like a counterpoint perspective to firebending and the way that you learn discipline and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. He, he goes on to talk about discipline in this scene saying to master the bending disciplines, you must master discipline itself He cites the order of the elements, telling Aang that he must learn water and earth before learning fire, because water is cool and soothing, and earth is steady and stable, but fire is alive. It breathes and grows and will destroy everything in its path if one does not have the will to control it. Aang currently does not have that necessary control. He is not ready. He is too weak. With this statement, the candle flames around Zhang Zhang soar to the ceiling and then everything cuts to black. You think I am weak? The voice who asks this question belongs to the spirit of Avatar Roku, who now stands in Aang's place. Zhang Zhang is immediately repentant and tells Roku that that is not what he meant. Roku says, I have mastered the elements a thousand times in a thousand lifetimes. Now I must do it once again. You will teach the Avatar firebending. Zhang Zhang comes out of the vision and tells Aang that yes, he will teach him. I love Aang is just like, you will? Great. It's the exact opposite of what Roku <laughs> was doing in terms of tone and body language and literally everything. Yeah, that ruins it for me, but that's I the whole it. point. I love it so much. It's like Zhang Zhang's taking this so seriously. And then Roku, in his infinite awesomeness, yeah. comes in and sets him straight. But then Aang, who's still just like, you know, this plucky little kid who's making bad decisions, like, yay, I get what I want. And it's like that, I think that further illustrates the fact that he's not ready because he's just excited that he gets to learn firebending. He doesn't have, I think, the right perspective to go into this. Yeah. And like Roku interjecting is just like not helping. Like Roku is like, he needs to do this now, but like it, he should know that it's not helping matters, period. So it almost makes me wonder if it's actually Roku or if like something, if Zhang Zhang is just kind of like imagining that. Because like, oh, I absolutely think it's Roku, but I do want to discuss why he says that, because I would think it's obvious that Aang is not ready. Right. And so I wonder if this was almost this whole thing 
was almost just to put Aang in a position where he can understand how to approach these things that Zhang Zhang is talking about through failure. Okay. Interesting. I don't know. It's just for me, it just didn't like capture what happened when Roku took over his body or presents himself from previous episodes. It was very different. Oh, like it looks different? Yeah. It looks visually different. Aang is not exacerbated for, I guess, for like, or exhausted after it happens. It just kind of like happens and then it doesn't. And no one seems to know except for Zhang Zhang. That's an interesting point. No, I was going to say, I think I am wrong. And I think that you're right in terms of like, that did actually happen. It wasn't Zhang Zhang imagining it, but it's just very different from what we've seen. Yeah. And to your point, I mean, it is a very interesting delivery of Roku because up till now, we've seen him in dreams and visions and on Crescent Island in like on the solstice. Like there are definitely conditions for him appearing. And usually it's to Aang because he's embodying Aang. Yeah. Because he's a a past life, but it is interesting that he presented himself to someone else. So when he did take over Aang, he did present himself as Roku and the Winter Solstice part two. So everyone saw it's like, oh, it's Roku. And it was until it wasn't. And even then, because he was possessing Aang. Oh, true. He was possessing Aang, right? So Aang just like collapsed because he was exhausted. Right. But he also bended. So that could have been the exhaustion. Fair. Fair point. I don't know. It's kind of just like, yeah, weird and interesting. Yeah, let's talk about it again at the yeah. end because I think we'll have more perspective. Yeah. Um, but John Jung is so interesting because he's the only firebender that we've encountered so far who looks past the element itself to the danger within it. Because it's almost obvious to us that fire is harmful. Fire can hurt. But it's like all the firebenders in this show, fire is a part of them. So they don't treat it as something dangerous. Only Zhang Zhang does. Yeah, I think he saw during war what firebending and can do like the horrors of it and we even talked about that like that just snapped him out of it and caused him to desert so like who knows if he's even really done a lot of firebending since then yeah i think he did limit himself a lot you can almost see it in the way that he firebends he doesn't use blasts and things like other firebenders do he uses it defensively which is part of his character construct Mm -hmm. i mean i did find out he was a, a former prodigy and he was later recognized as a firebending master prodigy throughout the Fire Nation and a genius at being a firebender, yeah. except his approach was always conservative and he preferred to use the defensive side of bending. So to him, he believes firebending is a curse and a dangerous power at that because it causes destruction. Right. So it's almost like that difference between Zuko and Zhao bending in these big blasts and they are very offensive about it. Whereas Zhang Zhang is very defensive. And it's interesting to see that illustrated visually on the screen. I also think the, the psychology behind that is super interesting. So like yeah. Iroh is teaching Zuko, this is a part of you. This is this, That's a traditional message, right? It's almost like having... Like being blind. So one train of thought is being blind is a part of you. So you should embrace it and you sh- you need to adapt and you need to kind of live and learn throughout this experience where the other is like, this is a curse. It used to be this way. Why isn't it this way anymore? One treats it as a disease. Zhang Zhang treats it as a disease where Iroh is kind of just like, you can't just cut off a part of yourself. You have to embrace it. Yeah. It's an ability. It's a part yeah. of you. Yeah, that's that's essentially what I'm what I'm saying. Yeah. It's so interesting because I don't think we see that in any other bending. Yeah, like yeah. all airbenders and waterbenders and and earthbenders that we've seen are just very like this is me. Yep, this is something I can do. It's it's my ability. It's part of me. Yeah. 
But Zhang Zhang is the only one that's almost like self-loathing in the fact that he doesn't have a favorable position with his bending. Oh, he's very Spider-Man about it. Yeah, I think so. With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, oh, yeah. He's very in the Spider-Man camp on that one. Yep. And also that's a that's a big thing with Spider-Man. It's probably what I was thinking of where he views his powers as a curse, not a gift. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And one final thing about Zhang Zhang before we continue with the story is he was based on the president of DR Movie, which is one of the South Korean animation studios mm. uh, who worked on the series. And Brian and Mike thought that he looked like a Bond villain. <laughs> and so they wanted to include him in the show. That's funny. Yeah. So fun. The next day, Zhang Zhang begins Aang's training. He instructs him into a low stance on a rock by the river. When Aang asks him what he's supposed to do next, the master chastises him for talking because that is not concentrating. He points to Katara practicing waterbending on the shore and to Sokka fishing on a rock and says that his friends know how to concentrate. His lesson to Aang on concentration includes focusing on the sun, for the sun is the greatest source of life and yet is in complete balance with nature. This is the first introduction Mm -hmm. of the source of firebending, which is so fun to learn more about later. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. I forget how it is. So I'm very excited. Yay. I'm excited then if that's the case. Yes. Um, Something I forgot to say earlier, too. I think you brought it up a little bit briefly with Aang being new to this and making bad decisions because he doesn't know. He doesn't realize like what the steps are. It very much reminds me of what we talked about in the waterbending scroll with Katara learning waterbending mm-hmm. and how she was jealous of Aang because he was picking it up faster than she was. Mm-hmm. But the difference between the two of them was Aang went through training with his airbending. Right. And so he knew the stances, the breath, the flow of the martial art with airbending because he practiced for so many years. This is so much like that. He feels like he can firebend now because he's gone through that practice. But in reality, he's still missing those firebending 101 lessons to get him there, like the discipline and the concentration, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Later, Zhang Zhang leads Aang up a mountain to practice breathing, citing that power in firebending comes from the breath. Very Iroh in that way. He instructs Aang into the same horse stance from earlier and leaves him to breathe. Hours later, Aang shows up at his hut and complains about his time being wasted. Zhang Zhang tells Aang a story about a pupil he once had who had no interest in learning discipline. This pupil was only interested in the power of fire and its ability to wipe out obstacles in his path. The scene cuts to Zhao and his men advancing down the river on their riverboats and settles on a close-up shot of Zhao himself, which insinuates that the admiral was once one of Zhang Zhang's pupils. I got so excited at this reveal. I started like clapping. I was like, oh, it's getting good. It's so good. (laughs) Right? Oh, man. This is also around here is when he says, uh, fire is a horrible burden to bear. Its nature is to consume and without control, it destroys everything around it. Mm -hmm. You know, we've, we've seen Zhao pretty consistently in the series so far. I think that is like perfect description of Zhao, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's interesting how different he is from his master, too. And like yes. how it was Zhao's, or I should say, um, Zhang Zhang's experience with Zhao that kind of, I think, helped him perceive firebending a lot differently. You think Zhang Zhang learned from Zhao on like what not to do or what not to I, be? I think now that we're like kind of discussing it out loud, this kind of like, I was like hypothesizing just minutes ago, I feel like, about what it could have been. I think that 
Zhang Zhang never considered the abilities to be as destructive as they actually are until after he saw someone with no discipline just doing whatever he wanted with it and just like not having any sort of uh, remorse or taking into consideration any complications that could arise, for lack of a better term, from just firebending wildly. Yeah, I like the exploration of the differences because something that you brought up a couple episodes ago was the difference between Zuko and his father Mm -hmm. in relation to Iroh and how Iroh became, he placed himself in the position of mentor for Zuko to steer him in the right direction. It's almost like that kind of situation where even though Zhang Zhang was Zhao's mentor and master, he ended up going almost the Ozai route Mm -hmm. and sought power instead of self-mastery. Yeah, actually, yeah. But it's like this episode is kind of weird with Zhao because Zhao is pretty disciplined. We saw that in the Agni Kai. Like his stances were pretty solid as far as I can tell. And he went up toe to toe with Zuko, who is quite disciplined when he wants to be. Yeah, I think he has discipline. He did learn that, but it's the self-control and the abuse of power that gets him in trouble. Also his rage. Yeah, there's also that. (laughs) Later, Zhang Zhang finds Aang meditating on a rock by the river. Aang tells him that he thought about what he said and promises to be more patient. Zhang Zhang tells him that they will work with fire now. He gives Aang a leaf with a burning hole in the middle and instructs him to focus on the fire and keep it from reaching the edge of the leaf for as long as he can. A tribesman appears and warns Zhang Zhang of danger and they both leave, with Zhang Zhang telling Aang to focus on his leaf. Aang immediately complains to a nearby Katara that this is the worst firebending instruction ever because all he does is leave Aang for hours to concentrate or breathe. I'm sure there's a good reason, Katara says, but I'm ready to do so much more, says Aang. Yeah, classic Aang. I feel like the more he complains and protests, the more he's proving that Zhang Zhang is right. Oh, yeah. He's not ready. Absolutely. He's not ready for this at all. I almost get the impression that he wants to use fire because it's cool. And if he can firebend, it's almost like if he can just firebend, then he's going to be a firebender. You know, it's almost like he wants to get to the end yeah. and not learn his way there. I, th- I think you're pretty right in terms of him just thinking it's cool as well, because the Fire Nation, despite their politics, visually are pretty cool. And like their their abilities are very flashy and they are very like they're very showy. So like when you see something like, like yeah. Airbending isn't super showy. Waterbending, as we've seen it, is cool, but like not as exciting, right? And earthbending, we've seen yeah. them use it as a mail delivery service. So that seems very mundane. This is like the big one that you want to really use. And also, like in the real world, fire is just kind of cool looking. Yeah. Like in general, like that's why we like fireworks so much, like explosions and all these things, because they're just like exciting and cool. And I think a lot of that is you're right. Ang is just like, I want to do this cool thing. I think a lot of it is as well, where he's like, if I do this, then we're getting one step closer to the edge. I'm about to break Lincoln Park. You're welcome. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, like I think a lot of it is that childlike wonder of this is really cool. I want to master it so I could be really cool, too. Yeah. Firebending is like the red convertible. Yeah, absolutely. Out of the the elements. (laughs) Mm -hmm. This is where Aang has an idea and widens his stance. He begins breathing and focusing on the leaf, but not to keep the flame from reaching the edge. Instead, he focuses on making the flame grow. The leaf ignites and Aang is left with a living flame in his hands. Katara cautions him to take it slow, but Aang continues to play with the fire, 
throwing it over his head and trying to juggle it like he saw the performer do. Attempting to replicate one of the juggler's moves from the fire festival, he opens his arms and spreads the fire around him and burns Katara's outstretched hands in the process. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. This, oh. Told you you weren't ready. Yep, everyone told mm-hmm. you, Yang, but it's one of those things that you hear all the time when people talk about learning and parenting even. Yeah. You have to let the person learn through their mistakes. Yeah, yeah. And again, we, we see the destructive nature of firebending right here. What I think is very interesting, there's a kind of parallel. It might be, I might be grasping at straws here, but whenever Katara would waterbend, Sokka would get wet, right? When Aang was learning to waterbend back in the waterbending scroll episode, he caused this like rather large wave to kind of wash through and kind of like disrupt Appa's toe cleaning or whatever it was, which I think is foreshadowing for this. So basically, whenever Aang learns a new thing, he messes it up immediately. But with water bending, it doesn't really matter because you just kind of get wet. With fire bending, yeah. that's a whole different scenario because it is a destructive yeah. power in nature, and you have to have control. You, there's no oopsies with fire bending. Right. It's not a splash. It's a burn. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. Permanent, quote unquote, in a typical scenario, permanent marks. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a great point. And I think that's also why learning firebending makes the most sense in this case, learning it last, because at that point you've been able to build up all of that discipline and self-control and all of these really important lessons to be able to handle this. Well, Aang doesn't have that right now. And so you're right. He will more than likely mess up more because he's still working through it. And so this is a dangerous element to mess up with. Yeah. Yeah. And Sokka's reaction. Oh, in the fields, yes. he rushes over to Katara and it's like big brother protector mode. He's like, what did you do? You burned my sister. I like, I got emotional at that. It was just, he loves her so much. Yeah. You see in these scenes how much. Yeah. I also, at first glance, I thought Aang got her eyes the way the camera was oh, going. Oh God, that'd be terrible. And I was like, no, yeah. I don't remember you being blind. This isn't right. And then it was her arms, but I was just like, no. Good thing she was putting her hands in front of her face. If not, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Zhang Zhang returns and Sokka yells at him. This is all your fault. The master agrees and tells them to pack their things. Some distance away, Katara places her burned hands in the water and something amazing happens. Her hands glow and when she draws them out, the burns are healed. Zhang Zhang sees this and tells her that she has healing powers, like the great benders of the water tribes. He's always wished to have an ability like this and to be free from his burning curse. Water brings healing and life, but fire only brings destruction and pain. Sick burn, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, This is the first time we've seen waterbending being used as healing, too. Yes. It's the first time we've learned. So we've been talking about the subbending forms so far. Last episode, we talked about lightning Mm -hmm. being one of the subforms of firebending. And so now we have a subbending form for water, which is healing. Yes. We're just going to keep tacking on subbending forms and it's going to be exciting. Oh, and lava bending. Lava bending. Yes. Yes. Being a subform of earth bending. Yes. Um, So this is where I want to bring Roku back up again, because... At this moment, I was like, why did Roku tell Zhang Zhang he must teach Aang firebending if it's obvious and now especially obvious that Aang wasn't ready? And also, I thought it was weird how Zhang Zhang responded to the fact that Aang hurt someone with, I know you guys got to pack your things and leave. Mm -hmm. 
he was just like very nonchalant about it. Like, yes, okay, now you need to leave. Well, like I think he knew there's only one outcome in his opinion, and it was that. So this was like an inevitability. I think he was viewing it as that, and I think he's also viewing it as it wasn't the worst thing that could happen in terms. Like it's terrible, but like I think he thought that Ang was going to burn down the entire forest. Yeah, and like probably kill himself. Interesting. Okay, I that's a good explanation because he was doing this almost against his will because Roku told him to, but the whole time he was just expecting this to be the outcome. And so he was like, yeah, I know. But anyway, this other thing, you guys got to leave now. Yeah. Okay. I was almost wondering if there was more to Roku's message than we, than we saw almost like Roku explaining like he needs this lesson in order to continue his bending journey. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like failure is probably the best teacher that you can have. Yeah. Along those lines. Yeah. And a lot of things that you do, not everything, but a lot of things is just, you have to fail before you can succeed. Yeah. yeah. So I wondered that. That's part of my headcanon, yeah. I think. Yeah. Just then, Zhao's riverboats arrive and they begin to attack. Zhang Zhang urges Katara to find her friends and flee. He bends a massive wall of fire in front of the boats, forcing them to pull up to the beach. Zhao confidently approaches his old master, claiming that Zhang Zhang isn't a threat because he gave up fighting long ago. Katara gets to Aang, who is sitting in Zhang Zhang's hut in the place on the floor where Aang first found him. Racked with guilt, he vows to never firebend again. Katara assures him that she's healed, but Zhao and his soldiers are attacking. Upon hearing this, Aang rushes off to help Zhang Zhang. By the time he gets to the beach, Zhang Zhang is surrounded by soldiers. When they attack with firebending, Zhang Zhang bends the fire around himself and disappears. Zhao orders his men to find the master. He then turns his attention to Aang. I like that Zhang Zhang does like the ninja vanish from Ninja Turtles, essentially. He's just like gone like the big flash and then he's gone and Zhao is unfazed and unsurprised he's just like he's in the woods somewhere go get him almost like he knew this move yeah he's seen it probably a million times before yeah this is really where we see the the comparison or i guess the contrasting even between Zhao and zhang zhang being together how like we said before zhang zhang is defensively bending and then in a moment we see that Zhao is all about offensive yeah he is just get in there destroy the obstacle, remove it with as much force as necessary. Oh, yeah. Aang dodges and ducks and uses airbending to defend himself against Zhao's firebending. He realizes that what Zhang Zhang said about Zhao was right. He has no self-control. He taunts the admiral and leaps onto the fireboats, tricking Zhao into destroying them with his sloppy and ferocious firebending. After some time, Aang tells him that he's lost this battle. Are you crazy? You haven't thrown a single blow, replies Zhao. No, but you have. Zhao looks around and realizes that Aang was right, and he didn't even notice. Aang escapes and hops on Appa with Katara and Sokka, and they fly away. I don't know how I feel about his line. Zhao's just like, I, you haven't thrown a single blow. And Aang's just like, I know, but you have. It seems too, too wise for him at this point in his life right now. I think it's the culmination of all of the events this episode. He sees, he's starting to click yeah. for him. It's not the strategy that he used. It's the writing. This is the first time where I've been like, I don't know how I feel about the writing of that line. Okay. Like I, I was expecting more of a like, I know I didn't need to. And him doing like a big angst, goofy grin and then pans out and everything's just on fire. I see. It's, it's he's yeah. Maybe it's just the beginning of him maturing. But we still have two books left to go through, two seasons left to go to. And it seems like this would have been well-placed maybe in book two. 
as we he's grown a little bit more. It just seems like he grew too much in that like fight. Yeah. With you having said that, I think I agree with you, especially after we saw a lot of almost immaturity from Aang in this episode earlier on. In the previous episode too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If he had said, I didn't need to, that would be more in line with Aang at this level. Yeah. I watched this a couple of times and I was like, yeah, like it it kind of like doesn't get me as much after every watching. But like when you were reading that too, I was like, yeah, that still doesn't feel right to me. And I don't want to like hang on just hang. Yeah. (laughs) on just like one line of dialogue throughout every single line of dialogue that we've had so far. But this one is just the first time where I've been like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of throws you out of the story a little bit after having made those, those points. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In the sky, Katara notices that Aang is burned. She uses her new ability to heal his wounds, much to his and Sokka's surprise. Sokka asks her when she learned that. And she replies that she must have always known how, but just was unaware Oh, well, then thanks for all the first aid over the years, Sokka complains. <laughs> and then they go on to talk about all the different fish hooks and this I and that. I love that. I love that line. <laughs> Me it's too. It's like that, that time I got two fish hooks stuck in my finger or my thumb. Wait, two? Yeah. He, used the, he tried to use the one to get the other one out. Classic Sokka. Classic Sokka. Love it. All right. And that is our episode. That's so we it. have a couple more notes, or at least I have a couple more notes that I want to talk about um, now that we've gotten through it. The first of which I didn't realize until the end of the episode that Zhang Zhang used to be a Fire Navy Admiral and Zhao is now an Admiral. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they have a history with each other where Zhang Zhang was his master. Yeah. I thought that was a cool dynamic. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but Regardless, it's very cool. Well, it brings up a whole other scenario, too, of Zhang Zhang earned his title through hard work, dedication, discipline. And our friend Zhao did not. He just did it by complete headcanon, brown nosing the Fire Lord, essentially, the whole time, trying to like, you know, taking up this hunt for the Avatar, trying to get in his good graces, just being a scumbag, but like being rewarded for being a scumbag. Yeah, Man, Zhao really is Ozai's little teacher's pet. Yep, that's how I view it. I, I haven't seen any evidence to think this way, but I I just like, I can't shake it. Yeah, me, me too. Yeah. It's like what I'm reading between the lines yeah. with just how the, both their personalities are and they have the same outlook and same like intentions mm-hmm. and goals and both bad people. Except I like Zhao. I, I love hate Zhao. I can't justify I any sort of love for Ozai. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Zhao has more depth than Ozai, so you can kind of see. I think it really goes back to one of the things that makes me like Zhao more than I probably should is what we said in Winter Solstice Part 2, Avatar Roku, and how Zhao is like a Jedi in that he knows to wait. Yes. Yeah. He he does have some sort of discipline because he can be patient. But once he flips that switch and he's just in like blind rage mode, he can't get himself out of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where the Sith comes in. Yes. Yes. (laughs) All right. Greg, who is your MVP this episode? Uh, This one's a tough one. There's so many wonderful characters, like especially new ones that we got to meet. I think I almost want to say Appa for hiding behind the bushes and making a valiant effort. Oh, and then coming to the rescue in the village. But like, I mean, he's he's a big or MVP for me in just in general. But it's either going to be Roku or it's going to be Zhang Zhang because like of the lesson that the, the two of them combined taught Aang. 
and the responsibility yeah. of being the avatar and being a firebender. Like you're responsible enough being the avatar, being the bridge between the spirit and the physical world, being the master of all elements, but being the master of all elements also entails being the master of firebending, which in and of itself is its own discipline more so than the others, because the others, in my opinion, aren't destructive in nature. Fire is. So he has like this whole new acceptance of what it means to be to be the avatar because he had the setup from Roku and then the follow through from Zhang Zhang. You know what? You gave two there and I was going to go with Roku anyway. So there we go. There we go. There we go. Our MVPs are Roku and Zhang Zhang. Also, Jay, guess we glossed over it, but at the end, he's like, where is everyone? <laughs> he just shows up. To okay, guys, come on out. So I know what you're good. doing. <laughs> and he's so calm about it, too. I love him so much. Well, it sounds like this happens a lot. Yeah. And so it's not it's not new for Shay. But, but just, in this case, it's like he's just completely oblivious. He missed it. He missed it all. They just keep on leaving him and he just keeps on showing back up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah. Okay. What about your moral of the story? Moral of the story is just Spider-Man, I think, is with great power comes great responsibility. You have you have to learn to walk before you can run yeah, or w- crawl before you can walk. I don't know how that metaphor goes, but like there <laughs> to put it, uh, I guess, like baby steps do take things a little bit at a time. Have patience and you'll be able to eventually achieve your goal. Rome wasn't built in the day. Yeah. All of these morals are accurate for this <laughs> pick a moral any yeah, moral. literally what about you mine is know thyself okay because we see a lot of different backgrounds and ideologies and perspectives in this and i think ultimately the best direction or the best path for you to go is the one that's best for you mm-hmm. so regardless of what that entails what kind of lessons you have to learn along the way it's always better to stay true to yourself and, and know yourself. I guess I'm thinking Zhang Zhang in this case, because he was the first person to defect from the, the Fire Nation military yeah. because he just, he's like, I this is not me. This is not who I am. I can't condone this anymore. Yep. I can't be a part of this. And so regardless of what kind of consequences there were, he followed his own ideology and just left and then stuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's accurate for everyone. Zhao, like it, it's just being self-aware. Zhao is not self-aware enough to know that when he gets into that rage mode, he has to just stop. Yeah. Um, Aang didn't know his own limits, so he accidentally burned his best friend, and it could have been permanent if not for you know our magical new ability that we, our waterbending ability <laughs> that we got to see. So yeah, yeah, and I think because wrapped within that is the opportunities for lessons because if you know your your limitations your weaknesses as well as your strengths Mm -hmm. then you can better develop as a person yeah for sure all right what a good episode i know good discussion as always but that is all the time we have for this week We'd like to thank everyone for coming along this journey with us. And if you have any thoughts to share about this episode, if you have an MVP you want to tell us about or any other little tidbits that we may have missed, you can email us directly at avatarthepodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at podcastavatar on Twitter. And remember, every five-star written review will be read on this show or whatever we decide to do later. Yes, whatever project we settle on. Yes. 
And remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and want to hang out with me a little bit more, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash booster Greg every Monday and Friday night. That starts at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, sometimes 830. Just just follow. Just follow me. And then when I go live, you get a little bloop. That's what a notification is of me. A bloop uh, on your phone. That says, <laughs> is hey, that what it does? This is bloop. bloop. It is a bloop. So you can even save that. <laughs> uh audio file and put that as your notification sound if you want i don't know just spitballing and you can find me acorn on twitter at acorn bandit and online at joysons.com where i create enamel pins like our good friend appa you can also find me on a new podcast on the geek generation network where we cover the netflix original series dark Mm -hmm. myself Murgles and Pumpkinberry. We are tackling Dark in its entirety. And we just recorded episode two, which is going to be an exploration on color mm-hmm. used in the show. And it's an amazing conversation. So if you love Dark, um, if you've watched it all, we invite you to join us. Yeah. And make sure you watch it all too, because based on my understanding, there are heavy spoilers. I will be catching up hopefully this week so I can listen. Um, also, Pumpkinberry does podcasts as well on the Geek Generation Network and outside of it. So you should go ahead and listen to all those because also here's a big spoiler for you. I'm in one of the episodes on one of our podcasts. So there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> there you go. Coming up next time. Air Temple B&B. And never underestimate the power of stink. All this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the Podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com.